Hey, Rookie Big Board listener. Before we get to this episode, I want to make sure you know about the 2022 Rookie Guide. Volume 1 is out now. It is over 130 pages, chock full of rookie insight, 90 player profiles, mock drafts, player values, comparison to Devi and Dynasty value, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash the FF Educator and get your copy now. episode 102 of the Rookie Big Board Podcast. I am your host, Matt Hicks, the FF Educator. Excited to jump right into some day three rapid reactions here. I did allow myself some time to sleep on it here. I'm sucking down the coffee, getting ready for day three of the NFL draft. Still shaking off the cobwebs a little bit, so you might get a little bit more of a raw, unfiltered approach here to my analysis this morning. But I'm excited to jump into it here. And let's go ahead and start right with the quarterback class. After not seeing, um, after seeing, I should say, just one quarterback come off the board in day one of the NFL draft, we get three quarterbacks to come off the board here in day two. Now, Desmond Ritter is the first one to come off the board. It's an interesting situation here with Desmond Ritter. You know, they're going to bring him in. I'm sure he is going to compete with Marcus Mariota. If you like Desmond Ritter before the draft, then your priors are confirmed, right? You're saying, okay, he's going to come in. He's going to compete with a, a short-term quarterback, a potential bridge quarterback. I think Marcus Mariota can be more than that. I like Marcus Mariota. But again, if you're a Desmond Ritter fan, you're looking at it here saying this is a a fairly good landing spot relative to his draft capital, right? So there's reason to be optimistic. Right now on the rookie big board, Desmond Ritter is quarterback four. He was quarterback six going in. So he has moved up the board. He currently leapfrogged Carson Strong and Sam Howell. Sam Howell is, I think, the most notable quarterback to still be available heading into day three of the 2022 NFL Draft. Now, Matt Corral and Malik Willis were top three quarterbacks for me going into the night. Uh, Matt Corral was my pre-draft quarterback one for fantasy. Uh, Kenny Pickett was my pre-draft quarterback one for NFL. So, you know, just giving you kind of a a relative point there. Um, Malik Willis comes off the board next. He goes to the Tennessee Titans. Now, it's an interesting fit. It's not one I would have predicted probably if you gave me 15 guesses. But the Tennessee Titans end up taking Malik Willis to coach him up, redshirt him for a year and he is going to have the ability to take that starting job from Ryan Tannehill going into the 2023 season. Remember, the Titans have a, a major out in Ryan Tannehill's contract. They'll save something like $35 million in dead cap space if they wait an extra year to cut Ryan Tannehill. Now, I'm not assuming that the Tennessee Titans are going to cut Ryan Tannehill. He has been a solid quarterback. He has been good enough for what they need, 
but the Titans are going to be in an interesting situation here moving over the next couple of years. Derrick Henry can only take so much beating to his body, right? So in two to three years, where is their run first offense? Maybe they replace him, but maybe not. They have Traylon Burks, so are they trying to mold into a little bit more of an athletic, creative offense now? That's to be determined. But if you're drafting Malik Willis, the most important thing is to understand that you're going to take a redshirt year on him. Malik Willis is still the, the developmental, high upside, highly athletic quarterback that we knew he was going into the draft. That lower draft capital simply tells us that 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 uh, that rawness is higher than we expected, and the risk factor is higher. So, where a lot of folks were willing to you know put Malik Willis and myself included in the top three picks in a super flex draft going in, understanding the upside, that's not where I'm currently at right now. Malik Willis currently sits at 11 on the rookie big board, so a late first round pick. I think with some more tweaking, that may go down as high as 201, 202. I think that's his range, 110 to 202 in most super flex rookie drafts. And maybe folks take him higher than that. Currently, that's where I think I sit on him. Matt Corral is also gonna fall in a similar range. Now, Matt Corral is in a similar situation for fantasy, but in a lot of ways, in a totally different situation, right? I think Matt Corral is more pro-ready, and he has a less stable quarterback in front of him. So I think Matt Corral, who landed with the Panthers, can challenge Sam Darnold right away for the starting job. Now, will he win it? I don't know. Uh, if, if you had asked me, you know, three days ago, Matt Corral versus Sam Darnold, I would have told you that my money would have been on Matt Corral, but I also would have thought he was a first-round pick or a high second-round pick at the latest, right? So I talk about this all the time. You should have your own opinions. You should come into the draft informed, but you shouldn't be so headstrong that you don't listen to the NFL. So it'll be really interesting to see Matt Corral play over the next couple months. I'm going to have Matt Corral in a, in a really hand-in-hand -hand value for Malik Willis. However, my perception, my expectation based on kind of just what I've seen is that folks are going to value Matt Corral less than Malik Willis, right? And so I think between these two quarterbacks, I'm probably going to end up having a high exposure to Matt Corral and a lower but not uh, non-existential, uh, non-existing, uh, I should say, uh, exposure to Malik Willis. So those are the quarterbacks. I think that's where most folks probably wanted to start. We talked about wide receivers a lot uh, after day one, and we'll get to the wide receivers, but we finally have some running backs to come off the board. Now, the top tier changes, the second tier changes, and there's going to be a larger third tier. I think that's really what's going to happen. So we're learning a lot about the running back class, and we're going to learn a lot more on day three. But let's start with the guys who did go on day one. That first guy off the board was Brees Hall. He goes to the Jets, secures that top 50 draft capital here, and a pretty good landing spot. Now, I emphasize that word. It's a good landing spot. I think he is going to come in here uh, and have a significant role in the Jets backfield. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Michael Carter is going to compete for his touches as a starter, but Michael Carter is going to get his touches. So right now, in again, this is, you know, patrons have access to my projection sheet. It's the same one I use. They can go in and look at it. And I know folks have been throughout draft weekend here, but I immediately put Brees Hall. And again, these projections are going to get tweaked over the next couple days here, the next couple weeks. But Brees Hall comes in with a 50% market share on the ground for me uh, for the Jets. 
and 10% of the passing volume. So that's 261 touches currently. He, I think he can project to be a 1,200-yard combined uh, player with the ability to go over 10 touchdowns. So I like Brees Hall a lot. That's a really good intro, a really good lead-in, right? However, that being said, and I think he's going to be the one-on-one in Superflex drafts. I'm just going to – I don't think that there's going to be much gray area about that. However, for folks with Michael Carter, for folks wondering about the balance, you know, I do a Michael Carter at 30% of the market share. So I still think he gets over 100 touches, probably in the range of 120 to 140 touches, right? I still think he finds the end zone. I still think he gets targets, right? I think the targets one is going to be especially interesting. How did targets shake out between Brees Hall and Michael Carter? I think that's the only thing folks might be surprised with. I think Brees Hall may get less targets than you'd expect him to have gone going in. Because remember, they're also going to have to throw the ball to Garrett Wilson, to Elijah Moore, to Corey Davis, to Denzel. No, I'm just kidding. Not Denzel Mims. Had to throw that one in there. And don't forget, they signed CJ Uzuma. They signed Tyler Conklin. And they drafted Jeremy Ruckert, which was one of my favorite landing spots that I called going into it. And we'll circle back to Jeremy Ruckert in the, in the tight end discussion here because we did get some tight ends off the board. So all I'm saying is that this is a good landing spot for Brees Hall. It's not a great landing spot. And that's fine, right? We're used to that. Uh, Denver last year for Javante Williams. That wasn't a great landing spot. Jacksonville for Travis Etienne, that wasn't a great landing spot. That didn't mean that those were bad landing spots, right? It it doesn't have to be uh, everybody going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, right, like Najee Harris did last year. We knew that was a smash landing spot. Well, most of us knew that that was a smash landing spot. And how about Kenneth Walker? I got to tell you, it took me a little bit of time to process this one because I was not ready for the Seattle Seahawks. This team, I guess, that refuses to believe that they're in a rebuild, but I think everybody else around them understands that they're in a rebuild. They took Kenneth Walker at pick 40, I believe it was 41 there, uh, in the second round. And I want to be very clear. I know I've said this before, but I don't want any confusion here. There is no difference in draft capital between where Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker went. I don't care if Brees Hall went a few picks before Kenneth Walker. Brees Hall went at 36, Kenneth Walker went at 41. That is the same exact draft capital, right? There is no difference between those two uh, uh, spots in terms of draft capital. So where does Kenneth Walker fit? into this odd backfield, right? You have Chris Carson there, who we've kind of known to be the guy, and I think Kenneth Walker is taking Chris Carson's role with the ability to do it so much better, and that's not a knock on Chris Carson. Chris Carson was a seventh-round pick, I believe, and and I'm not, again, he's been productive when he was and when he's been able to stay healthy, but I think that's what Pete Carroll wants. He wants a guy to run in between the tackles, absolutely chew up yardage, and be an absolute uh, pace setter for the offense. And I think he really will be a pace setter because Drew Locke is going to be playing huck and chuck and football. They've cleared Drew Locke unless they're going to try to trade for Jimmy G, which would be weird because they traded for Drew Locke. Like, Drew Locke's probably going to be the guy, right? So they need a balanced rushing attack to to, to, to even out uh, that offense. Plus, we know Seattle is a run for scheme. They always have been. Uh, and they've gotten rid of offensive coordinators that, that didn't like how much they ran the ball. And so really your only competition then is Rashad Penny. And if you're banking on Rashad Penny uh, to, to stop Kenneth Walker, you're, you're either in denial or you are really in denial, right? And so Kenneth Walker for me comes in and I am conservatively starting him off with 50% of the rushing share. Conservatively, which is 225 attempts on the ground. And 
Folks, Kenneth Walker is going to get targets. I have him at 48 targets. I have him with a good catch percentage. I have 12 combined touchdowns for Kenneth Walker. I think he could easily go above 1,000 rushing yards. I have him projected just under that right now because, again, I'm trying to be conservative with this early projection. But the more you think about it, for me at least, the more that you get really excited about Kenneth Walker to Seattle. So I'm good with Kenneth Walker 101. I think in most drafts he's going 102. If you have the 102, I think it's a good year to have it. If you have the 101 uh, and you can move back to the 102 because somebody really wants to move up to get Brees Hall and you could score an extra early second round pick, I would do that in a heartbeat in this year's draft. So I really like it when it comes to these running backs. I do think it solidifies this pre-draft notion that they're going to be the first two players off the board even in a super flex league. Let's jump into these tier two running backs, right? Right now, it's Rashad White and James Cook sitting there on my board as running backs three and four. They have the exact same RBBR. It's both 7-1. They both project to have the ability to be weekly starters, which for me means a running back two, right? So running back 24 to 36. Uh Early on in their careers, uh, Rashad White, it might take a little bit more time. He lands with Tampa Bay. You know, Rashad White has been this guy throughout the whole process where, you know, he checked the box on tape. There was enough excitement on his tape, right? He checked the box on athletic testing. He's just kind of checked the boxes the whole way through. And although he's not the most, like, I don't get the most fired up thinking about Rashad White, now he checks the draft capital box. And he's going to check the volume box. You know, I think Rashad White is this really interesting interesting player because I think the Bucks drafted him to be everything that they wanted in the Gio Bernard role, but elevated, right? This, this pass catching back, this guy that can take dump offs from Tom Brady and be explosive with the ball in his hands after it. And now on top of that, Rashad White has the frame, explosiveness, lower body strength to be able to then be the Leonard Fournette replacement if they do end up moving on from him after this season, after next season, right? So this is a long-winded way of saying that Rashad White has a short-term role in the Bucks' offense with the possibility to extend and expand that role in the Tampa Bay Bucks' offense, right? So it's a really interesting landing spot for him. You know, when we're talking about the value of these Tier 2 running backs, I do think it is early second round of Superflex Leagues, and I'm talking early, like 201, 202. I could see these guys coming off the board uh, for me. However, I do think in a lot of leagues, Rashad White is going to to be pushed up to 110. I could see James Cook being pushed up to 109. I saw some people on my Twitter feed last night suggesting James Cook was a top five super flex selection. I don't know. Uh, maybe if we just need the sarcasm font out there, if I just miss that, but uh, that's a little rich for me. I just want to throw that out there right now. Hopefully we're not fighting that narrative over the next couple of months, but how about Brian Robinson Jr.? Uh, not the only other running back drafted last night. We'll get into that, but Brian Robinson Jr. was drafted last night. He ends up uh, going uh, off the board with a pretty good draft capital. I believe he was at the back end of round three, and he's causing chaos because he lands with the Washington Commanders, right? And so we were so worried throughout this entire pre-draft process that uh, Washington was going to take Brees Hall, they were going to take Isaiah Spiller. Let's get into that. Hold on a second. We'll get back to Isaiah Spiller, but you know, they were going to take Kenneth Walker, they were bringing all these running backs, and they end up going with Brian Robinson Jr., which is almost as bad as a scenario for 
Antonio Gibson fans as them bringing in a guy like Brees Hall, right? Brian Robinson Jr. is a two-down back. He can absolutely command that volume in between the tackles, and I think Washington is going to want to get the ball in his hands. So I bumped Antonio Gibson down to 40% of the rushing share for Washington. I bumped, uh, or I slotted Brian Robinson Jr. in for 30% of that rushing share. I have him splitting rushing touchdowns, and uh, quite frankly here, I would not rule Brian Robinson Jr. totally out of the passing game. I have him at 35 targets. So, you know, in terms of Brian Robinson, a flex player. I, I think he's somebody that you, you put on your, your bench. You have the ability in deeper leagues to, to, to you know, flex him in uh, as the matchups fit, as injuries occur on your roster, as bye weeks hit, uh, and you just need to, to push him onto your, your starting lineup. So I think he's going to be a guy who has fantasy football relevancy, but not somebody that you should uh, necessarily pay up for in your draft. He is the definition of my flex fillers here. Running back 36 through 48, going to have some running back two weeks, right? Uh, that may push his value up. So certainly worth drafting in the second round, especially mid to late second round of your fantasy drafts. We had another running back, a surprise running back come off the board here. Tyrion Davis-Price to the San Francisco 49ers, which is the absolute most insane running back selection since they took Elijah Mitchell last year after taking Trey Sermon last year. I don't know what to tell you, folks. I, I don't, you know, at first I was like, maybe because he's a pretty big back, so I was like, maybe they're taking him to be a fullback. And then I realized they have Kyle Usechek, so they're not even taking him to play the fullback role. I just don't touch it. I, I'm leaving it there. My instant reaction is just don't touch it, just leave it there. I quickly touch on tight ends here before we get to uh, wide receivers because I there deserves to be some intentional tight end conversation and reaction here. Trey McBride goes to the Arizona Cardinals, which uh, does two things. It, it excites me from the perspective of they clearly see him as a pass catcher, which is good for fantasy, right? We talked about Trey McBride has the ability to play both ways. He can put his hand in the ground. He's not going to be the best tight end putting his hand in the ground, but I don't think Arizona is going to ask him to do it all that much. I think they're going to line him up split out or split in, I should say. They're going to move him around. I could even see them putting Trey McBride out on the outside at times. Uh, however, it is a crowded, crowded room, and it's not just a crowded wide receiver room. You also have Zach Ertz, who is coming off of a fresh extension, who just got to the club and did really well with them right off the bat. And you also, of course, have Hollywood Brown, who they've added uh, via trade this weekend. Hollywood Brown got traded uh, from the Ravens because he wasn't getting enough volume. So you have to imagine with that Kyler Murray college connection that they're going to prioritize getting Hollywood Brown some volume. You have DeAndre Hopkins, who of course commands volume himself. You have Rondale Moore, who was hyper-targeted with a lot of manufactured production last year. And then you have A.J. Green still there, right? They brought A.J. Green back, and so maybe he's the odd man out, but it's busy. So I have Trey McBride coming in with 12% of the market share. That actually feels like it's probably optimistic, uh, and that's about 73 targets, because remember, they do throw the ball a ton, and I actually have uh, bumped up Arizona's projections so that they're throwing the ball even more than they did last year, right, because I do think that uh, Kingsbury is in a position where he just wants to throw the football, so I have him pretty much splitting market share with Zach Ertz, and I have uh, three touchdowns for Trey McBride right off the bat. Now, that being said, we know we have to be patient with tight ends, right, and if you look long-term with Trey McBride, you're going to see that, you know, A.J. Green's going to be gone at some point, right? Zach Ertz is going to be phased out 
of this offense, right? DeAndre Hopkins is not sunsetting his career, but certainly, you know, past peak time and peak performance, even though he's still a very, very good player. So if you're thinking two, three years down the road, as you should be with tight ends, you should be optimistic and happy about Trey McBride. That being said, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about the, the class overall here as I see it right now, but proceed with cautious optimism on Trey McBride. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert, I've referenced him earlier, is uh, tied for tight end two with another tight end who went off the board for me right now. I love Jeremy Ruckert to the Jets. I love it for an NFL fit. It's one of the few th- uh, uh, pairings, I guess is the word I'm looking for. One of the, the few NFL team and prospect pairings that I refused to pivot off of beforehand because it just made so much sense. The Jets have a need. I think Jeremy Ruckert can absolutely contribute in the red zone. He's a big target for Zach Wilson. I really like it. And by the way, quick aside here, uh, Zach Wilson, I don't I don't want to you know sit here and say he has no excuses at this point. He's still only in his second year, but by the time he gets into his third year, if Zach Wilson doesn't hit, he can't say that the Jets didn't give him the opportunity to. Greg Dolchich ends up landing with Denver, which is so uh, infuriating in, in so many ways. You know, you finally kind of get some clarity with AOK there, and and then they just put Greg Dolchich right back in there. Dolchich is going to have to uh, split passes, uh, or, or I should say targets, with Jerry Judy, with Cortland Sutton, with KJ Hamler, with Tim Patrick. You know, does this mean Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon are getting less targets out of the backfield? I think what it does tell me, it's another six And it's not the only signal, but it's another signal that the Broncos want to pass the ball more than they have in the past, right? You have a good offensive line. They have uh, a lot. They've extended Tim Patrick. They've invested in Cortland Sutton. They've invested high draft capital in Jerry Judy, pretty high capital in KJ Hamler. Now they're putting day two capital into Greg Dolchich, a pass-catching tight end here. So I think they're going to want to throw the ball. I think they're going to bump up. And, and of course, obviously bringing in Russell Wilson is no better example than bringing in Russell Wilson, right? So I have Dolchich coming in uh, with more of the targets than AOK. I think he's going to uh, jump in above him. 67 targets as a rookie, uh, potential to get three targets touchdowns. I do think he's probably going to have a lower yards per reception than maybe you'd want at 10.5. That's not bad for a tight end. So uh, there's reason to be optimistic about Greg Dolchich, but you know, uh, don't, don't value him as a second round rookie pick. I'd say third, fourth round, you're, you're getting to the, the territory where I'm totally cool with it. Jelani Woods goes off the board to Indianapolis. That's cool, but you know, there's Mo Ali Cox there. There's there's Michael Pittman. It's a little crowded. Yeah, you know, it's worth a late round flyer. I'm talking round four or five in rookie drafts. I probably won't have much Jelani Woods, but it's kind of funny that he he's there with Mo Ali Cox because they're kind of similar, big, athletic tight end builds, right? So it's almost like Indianapolis here is trying to build out a starting uh, lineup for a basketball team uh, instead of a tight end room. But either way, it's exciting. All right, let's get into these wide receivers here. I know we're going. Long, but I want to talk about them. There's so much, and obviously we're going to break down all of these guys in way more depth uh, over the next couple weeks here. But you know, I want to make sure to touch on it here. Uh, a lot of guys coming off the board. You have Sky Moore to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, come on, it was well worth the wait. He does slide just outside of top 50 draft capital, but still really like Sky Moore. I think he can immediately plug in uh, to a, a good volume role here. So Sky Moore, I would not be shocked to see him going in the back end of the first round of rookie drafts. George Pickens to Pittsburgh is really interesting here. Uh, certainly just outside of top 50 draft capital, so so pretty good draft capital for me for what I expected for George Pickens. Didn't necessarily expect him to be a top 50 pick, 
but also didn't expect him to fall far. So pretty spot on there with that one. But, you know, you look at George Pickens here, and you do see a wide receiver room where he's going to have to battle for targets from, um, uh, you know, Claypool, from Deontay Johnson, from Pat Frermuth, and but and Najee Harris, of course. Uh, but you have to love it for Kenny Pickett, and I, and I like it for George Pickens. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I think this is an interesting landing spot, if nothing else, because George Pickens is used to not getting a ton of volume, but still being efficient, still finding the end zone, still having a high yards per reception, playing at Georgia. So there's there's reason to not panic on George Pickens. There's reason to be optimistic about this guy. Uh, landing in Pittsburgh, where wide receivers have just traditionally developed very well. Christian Watson uh, went off the board very high to the Green Bay Packers. The Packers finally did it. They finally took a wide receiver. He's going to have the opportunity to be a high-volume receiver to stretch the field, to have red zone targets. One of the things that I've been trying to uh, temper folks on, though, over the last couple weeks, as somebody who has been very high on Christian Watson the entire process, I need to remind you that he is a raw prospect. So Christian Watson really may not be his full best self, until years two or three, and how much longer is Aaron Rodgers going to be there? I know he signed, I think it was a 40-year deal, but like, what do those deals even mean, right? So I'm only saying this because if Christian Watson doesn't come in and get, you know, 25% of the target share and 10 touchdowns in his rookie season, don't be shocked, right? Uh, So it's an optimistic projection for Christian Watson, but proceeding with caution still. One of the best draft picks in terms of landing spots last night was John Mechie going to Houston. I love John Mechie going to Houston for a few reasons. One, I think he's just been that forgotten wide receiver throughout the entire draft process. And I think him going to Houston, which which is kind of just gross to hear that term right now. I think it's going to scare some folks off. But if you look at it here, you have an opportunity. I plugged him right into 20% of the market share once he's healthy, right? I have him with over 100 targets. I absolutely think he could be a 100-target guy. He could stretch the field. Uh, he could get five-plus touchdowns a season. And that's with uh, Davis Mills in play, right? Now, you have to be realistic here and think that Houston is going to be in the conversation for a top three, if not top five, NFL draft selection next year as well. Well, and that's when you're going to have Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and so you have the ability here in two to three years for John Mechie to be clicking with a top quarterback in the league, potentially, right? Stretching the field uh, and really kind of being this explosive playmaker at full health. So, you know, Mechie's probably going to go in the mid-second round of rookie drafts, and I think he's going to be an absolutely fantastic value. Alec Pierce, my guy uh, from Cincinnati, a lot of folks felt I was too bullish giving him top 50 draft capital. I guess technically I was, but he went just outside of the top 50. He goes to Indianapolis, and I it's such a fun pick. Indianapolis uh, adds a, a fast, athletic big man to play opposite of Michael Pittman, who is already a really great big-bodied receiver. I, I love what they're doing in Indianapolis. I know a lot of folks, uh, or, or we were talking about in the Discord channel, that Sky Moore would have been a great fit in Indy, too. I would have loved that as well, but I really like Alec Pierce. The pick surprised me, but in a good way. It was one of my my most uh my my, uh, my largest reactions last night David Bell uh, analytics truthers get David Bell off the board uh to Cleveland which a year ago would have sounded really gross but now David Bell gets top 100 draft capital which we were you know worried that he was going to slide outside of the top 100 and 
Now he's catching passes from uh, Deshaun Watson, assuming you know that Deshaun Watson is on the field. Um, and then he's playing opposite of Amari Cooper. And uh, past Amari Cooper, you really don't have that many people taking away his targets. So I think David Bell, you could project him in for, for 14 to 16% of the market share right off the bat, 70 to 80 targets uh, early on in his career. I'm not sure about uh, his yards per reception because I you know, I do think he's going to do in the NFL most of his work before the catch. I think the touchdowns are going to be the big question. You know, I've uh, conservatively projected in for four touchdowns, and I know the immediate reaction to the rookie big board update was that David Bell was not high enough. We'll see. We'll see how, how the David Bell projection shakes out here over the next couple days. A few other picks here that we need to touch on because they did get drafted. Danny Gray just sneaks into the back end of top 100 draft capital. A fine landing spot. San Francisco, I think he could play along the boundary. He's probably going to start as a special teams guy. Wandale Robinson, shocking pick to the New York Giants, top 50 selection. Here's the problem. Uh, Obviously, the draft capital is great, uh, but that draft capital needs to be balanced out with an understanding that the New York Giants passing attack is awful. Uh, the, the the fit between Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony is beyond confusing, unless the Giants do, in fact, offload Kadarius Tony. The rumors were that they wanted a second-round pick going in to the draft, uh, or at least a day two selection, and they're not going to get that at least this year for Kadarius Tony. So is he going to be on the team? Uh, you know, what's the fit for Wandale Robinson? And again, anytime we have high manufactured wide receivers, we need to proceed with caution. Anyways, he's still an undersized wide receiver. So the draft capital is a huge bump to him. It's certainly going to make him more relevant, but I do think he's probably in landmine status in terms of players that are just going to go higher in fantasy drafts that I'm willing to take them. Tyquan Thornton, what in the world? <laughs> Tyquan Thornton, top 50 selection. Uh, what? Uh, the Patriots take him. Great combine. I'd, fine. <laughs> I'd still, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just, I'm at a loss for that one. We're going to we're gonna need to take some more time to process that one. Uh, Jalen Tolbert goes to the Dallas Cowboys. Listen, Jalen Tolbert has some of the best highlights and some of the most annoying drops in this year's uh, draft. So, if he clicks there, he has the opportunity to really soak in some volume, play along the boundary, be a contested catch guy, play in a quasi-Amari Cooper role. I'm not comparing him to Amari Cooper, but has the ability to kind of push for that type of role. Phyllis Jones Jr., folks thought I was wild for calling him a top 100 draft pick. He goes 73rd, I believe, or 71st to the Chicago Bears. I've heard a lot of folks you know, commenting that that was a special team selection. Folks, I have to be honest with you. I don't care how old he is you cannot make a special team selection if you are the bears at that point in time with the wide receiver room in the shape that that it is in Bayless jones jr is in for targets he was very effective in his final year at tennessee he's going to be a good underneath uh target for justin fields all right i believe i covered everybody who was drafted in day two that's my immediate reactions we'll start talking more about trends in the draft here after we get the day three selections off the board as always i appreciate you checking out this episode of the rookie big board